You're in Ireland, right, Keith? Yeah. How? How? I, I don't actually know that well. What are your guys' politics like? You're kind of like yeah. I think the fact that Bernie bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would that would be a a, a good uh, summation of it. Yeah, we, we met through like Bernie Twitter. Tendencies, I'd say. So I'm at Slaboy T. Alright, this is uh, shit spouter 37. This is black.com pills. This is the Fed Post. right-leaning like on social issues like more conservative uh coh is like he's he's read a lot of marx so he's he's kind of got a marx leninist kind of uh, bent but and and me uh, i would say it's just more like like uh just economic populism like non-denominational you know what i mean like i don't really uh, uh i'm very like averse to to ideology specifically but uh yeah i think we we're sort of more uh, aligned on that at least we don't we don't really care too much about like labels really we we talk to we talk to anybody um and i've been kind of just enjoying just kind of a spread of different i don't want to sound like idw or something but like a spread of different people you know to just have on and be like look and deal yeah, yeah yeah exactly and to not make like uh i i try not to make too much assumption before i hear because sometimes i don't have any idea but like yeah for you for instance like i'm not how would you describe it because i don't have like a strong sense of where um, you fall i guess i'm like a right socialist maybe or i mean I, I would use the term nationalist but i don't really it's kind of identified with like uh you kind of get tied up with like romantic nationalism and uh, revanchism and stuff so I don't know I'm kind of going in a different direction but you're, you'd say you're like informed by Marx to some degree um mm, well I've, I've never been a, a Marxist I was I was a leftist for a while oh really yeah I was never I was never usually influenced by Marxists actually only the last the last couple of years I really started looking at Marxism oh nice most, mostly secondary stuff like I like David Harvey the economist mm-hmm. I've gone through a few of his books um are you what were you going to say Sirius? I was just going to ask kind of what your uh you said you used to be a leftist or whatever. Uh, as much as we try to not really claim titles and stuff, I know a couple of us had a similar trajectory um, of quote unquote used to being a leftist. Um, but I was just wondering kind of what that looked like for you, like your trajectory from there to here. Well, it was a very long phase. I mean, it was uh, like when I first got interested in politics was when mm-hmm. there was the big economic crash in 08, 09, because Ireland got hit kind of the worst of yep. that in, in Europe. Like we ended up taking on, I forget the statistic, but it was like close to 80% of like the European banking debt was taken on by uh, the Irish state. Um, so like that was a, that was kind of a chaotic time in Ireland sure. because the economy just collapsed overnight. We went from like the biggest economy in Europe to like this massive budget deficit and the IMF and the ECB and the World Bank were in to bail out the government. And like there was a swell of like populism and like the, the political party that had basically been the biggest party in the country for 100 years got knocked down to eight percent it was just like this really chaotic time and everyone was Mm -hmm. like into politics discussing politics and uh yeah the first thing i got into was like kind of irish republicanism like Sinn fein like we have a a leftist party here that's associated with uh irish nationalism but i mean they're they're kind of irish nationalists in name only like they've pretty much embraced global homo and all that stuff um but that was just like kind of the natural place to go at first uh and they're 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 kind of like a i guess they're like a standard sort of like scandinavian socialism style leftist party although in the last years they've gotten way more on board with all of the uh sort of cultural leftism stuff if you want to call it that um so yeah i was into that and then you know like every like young leftist like read orwell homage to catalonia and chomsky books and like flirted with like uh like anarcho-syndicalism and all that kind of thing but uh i don't think i was ever going to stay there for very long so you're saying you really got more involved in politics like once material conditions kind of came crashing into your life in a more significant way yeah yeah suddenly like politics became kind of interesting it was Mm -hmm. kind of a it was a more sort of open space of possibility you know the country like on the brink of collapse uh so yeah it was yeah it was an interesting time i don't know i think i would probably have gotten 
I think I would probably have become a spark about politics no matter what, to be honest, even <laughs> when I started studying philosophy. Because when I started, I got more into philosophy and I kind of, you know, I kind of got bored of politics. Like if you're looking at politics just through the lens of like political parties, you know, it does get pretty... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's a great point, because before the crash and before things opened up, it was very like plain down, you know, just a simple binary. Do you want the the blue or the red? And it's pretty much the same shit. Like there was there wasn't much to think about. It was like very it was preset. It was like preordained. It was like, yeah, there wasn't much to it. But now it seems like now when things are like falling apart now, it seems like there's all sorts of weird crossover and different tendencies emerging. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot more interesting now. But uh, what what got you off of uh, that that left streak? What, what was there something in particular that just sort of was it just a curiosity for a moment, or was it something like turned you off of it? Um, I think it was it was a gradual thing. I mean, I was never super into like uh, the more like anarchistic strands of leftism, but I did just kind of start to see a lot of it as as kind of unworkable. But then I was more I was a lot more interested in in philosophy for a while, um, and. You know, I just I kind of got this sense that the you know leftists I talked to and stuff that they they had very different kind of motivations to me, and that um, you know that they had this very sort of uh, materialist like individualist lens of looking at politics that I just came to see as as a bit empty. But I I did kind of I wasn't too focused on politics for a while, and then as I was studying philosophy, I just got interested. I'm always interested in like iconoclastic ideas, kind of, and like the most sort of uh, out there thing I found in college was like the the counter enlightenment thinkers like Joseph de Maistre and J.G. Hammond and all these kinds of people uh, that were against the enlightenment, which really piqued my interest. So I got kind of interested in like reactionary thinkers, um, like the traditionalist school, Julius Evel, all those types. So I was kind of interested then in like hard right politics from uh, a very kind of abstract intellectual lens. And then that was at the same time as like the the Trump phenomenon and like the energy of, of the alt-right and all the stuff that was going on, on the internet. So it seemed like a, a good time then where you could actually find like other communities of people that were, that were interested in that thing. And then, yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, the way it goes with, with the internet, you find these, these communities and one thing leads to another. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're like a spurg about politics today, it's like <laughs> there's, there's never been a better time to be alive. You can just spurg yeah. out on politics like all day with like-minded yeah. spurgs. Yeah, there's an abundance now. Yeah, but um, but what do, what do you think of like a you, you, like? Do you feel like the that energy of like that old right at that time, like 2016? Do you feel like there's been a? Do you feel like any disillusionment about it? Or the magic is gone. Oh yeah, the magic is definitely gone. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like because I was kind of new to that perspective as well. I think you don't, and a lot of people were like so many people uh, that are on that side of things, kind of just suddenly like woke up to politics in 2015 16 17 so it was very new and i think people people probably missed like some of the the inconsistencies or the problems that mm-hmm. was kind of latent in the thinking around that time i mean you can look back at some of it now and it's like it's some of it is so cringe it's like the you like how quickly the internet advances in like four or five years is kind of funny like you look back and it's like you know it was normal to have like pinochet god emperor trump memes like four or five years ago. <laughs> like all this like really cringe stuff but yeah i mean it was never it was never going to work long term i mean the alt-right was like you, know, you had richard spencer whose vision was this like uh nietzschean kind of like jonathan bowden-esque like uh pan-european uh like influenced by like the french new right and like very critical of of nationalism and christianity mm-hmm. and then you had like the majority of people i'd say who were kind of disaffected paleocon christians um and then you had like the streak of like libertarians that had been like on the ron paul train for years and just kind of yeah, yeah. like discovered like race realism with the internet or whatever so it was <laughs> it was a yeah it was a weird kind of uh it was a weird kind of coalition that I think was always going to was always going to kind of fall apart in the end. I mean, like the just the deplatforming as well. I think like a lot of the energy was just how fun that period of time was. But I mean, when everyone is getting like deplatformed and like mm-hmm. losing their, their PayPal's and their bank accounts, it's hard to keep that sort of uh, that fun kind of winning energy. It's like, you know, now it actually is is serious. You know, this is like really affecting people's lives. Yep. I like I like how you just I, mentioned that the fun aspect of it because I was wondering kind of like I've been thinking on my own just how much does like that energy especially online how much just like quote unquote having fun with it really just actually drive particular people's politics and how they present their mm-hmm. politics at least um, it seems like a lot of it becomes 
just a trying to be a part of a fun group uh, or, you know, trying to be on the team that's making the funniest memes or whatever at the time yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I I think I underestimate how much people will just how many people will just go on whatever they sense is the win inside. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, like yeah. it just kind of baffles me that people can go from like, uh, you know, people that were like what like cheering on Richard Spencer in debates in 2016 are now like Vosh fans. It's like uh, that's just like a is that a thing? Just, well, I mean, it's according the same to type of vapid entertainment, really. So yeah, it is. I mean, there's uh, you know what's that guy's name? Hunter Avalon. Like he was like a Nick Fuentes type. I know he's he's like Vosh's acolyte. Um, yeah, I mean, people will just like I even see it like within that subculture, like where you know you see there's like this this big new thing of whatever guy is like out there and getting the popular tweets, and you see people that are like mimicking his his style oh, and yeah. mimicking his talking points, and then like six months later it's someone else, and they're like they're onto that. I, I think that there is like a certain kind of person that will just kind of follow whoever they sense is like the alpha or where they're going to get wins from. And I don't know, it's like a, it's a way of thinking I can't really relate to at all because like, you know, I do kind of like spurg out about ideology, but yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing, but it's definitely something I underestimate that I've seen a lot in the last years. But yeah, when you're winning, like there's always going to be this big cohort of people that are going to be straight on the bandwagon. And it's interesting how quick that cycle is. Oh, sorry, Sloth, you can go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, no, it's funny. I like, I almost sometimes kind of like uh, uh, in like paranoid moments get uh, uh, slightly worried that that will be uh, a thought of me with uh, with like a big side change. But I guess I don't need to worry about it because uh, I made the the change from uh, the overwhelmingly winning side (laughs) away. (laughs) So I guess... I guess you don't need to worry about being seen as cynical in those conditions really at all. Right. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, how much how much do you think when we're talking about the alt-right or the dissident right and how it's kind of dispersed now? You know, we had kind of talked about just um its nature itself and how that kind of led to that dissipation. Uh, how how do you balance that with the external factors too of the deplatforming, right? Like like wh- which is a bigger factor in your mind? Which which would you point to if you were if you were to write the story of of all of it? Um, what would you emphasize more? Yeah, I do. I do think it's. I do think the deplatforming was a big thing. I think. Uh, yeah, I think Charlottesville really took the fun out of it for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, suddenly it was this in real life thing and suddenly it was like, you know, there was the image of like, you know, like the the costumed neo-Nazis as some people call them. And like there was this big like mainstream backlash and it was like, OK, this is actually this is actually real now. You know, it's not just memes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the deplatforming is is still the biggest factor. I mean, like. If you just look, I mean, like James Alsop was on like half a million subscribers and he was banned. Red Ice were on like almost 400,000. Nick Fuentes was on 100,000. I mean, I think if if it was like a truly open uh, free platform, I mean, I'm sure I think Nick Fuentes would probably have a few hundred thousand now. The right stuff would probably have similar, um, you know, that like that spencer sergan debate back in the day had like almost a million views before it was taken down so i definitely think a lot of the momentum is is gone due to deplatforming but also just like the i mean aside from the obvious effect of deplatforming you know that people aren't finding these figures now they're not getting suggested through google searches or youtube or whatever but yeah yeah but i mean even aside from that just the I don't know, just the atmosphere that the platform creates where you're kind of self-censoring your own language. Yes. Um, yes. It's, uh, it's, uh, it stopped a lot of the energy that the alt-right had where it was. You know, like the Daily Stormer used to be popular, but it was, you know, that was just so out there. Like, let's just take every kind of cultural taboo and just kind of <laughs> smash it in people's faces. But like, you know, that thing doesn't really work now if you're going to get instantly banned off Twitter for like, uh, you know, calling a trans person the wrong, uh, the wrong mis- misgender and a trans person or something that's it's hard to really get a get energy around a movement like that that's so built around kind of uh, edginess and breaking taboos but i mean right. that's i mean there's kind of a positive side to that as well which is you know like i said a lot of people are just jumping on board with these things because they're edgy and because they're taboo and they're not really gonna 
be interested in in any kind of meaningful change yeah, they're just there for sure. yeah i mean especially especially in the right it's like you know people that were attracted to satanism in the 80s and 90s now it's like being a satanist isn't very edgy anymore you know um but like being a white nationalist is like 10 times worse than being a satanist so yeah, yeah. you know that that personality type is definitely drawn to those ideas which is a, a big problem because there's so many just anti-social weirdos and like very like legitimately like hateful people like the kind of people yeah. that you know the media would try and like sort of characterize um right ideas as being associated with but i mean it, it does it does genuinely attract that type you um, see a lot right. of that on the left too though like completely like all uh, so many of those people are just like anti-social fucking like inhuman monsters yeah yeah oh, for sure for well and sure. that's and that's like that's an interesting thing of like i think in the last few years the left like did kind of sift through and recover a little shallow amount of that from the right um mm -hmm. and like it, it's kind of it's kind of just like a, a little bit of like a cheap counterfeit not that it's ever a super valuable asset in the first place but but yeah like you you see the you know you watch a, a vouch video you see some pepes in the chat and and, and <laughs> things like that and what you see it's teenagers saying based to to trans rights now and and things like that they kind of they kind of they kind of wear the the skin suit a little bit and so yeah i guess like on the on the left, you have your your TikTok girls talking about getting their 13th abortion and how like awesome that is or something. And or they're like just, making up fake mental illnesses, thinking that they have borderline personality disorder and shit like that. Right. Well, which they do. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but, uh, yeah, well, there, has yeah to, there has to be something constructive because, I mean, we were talking about this before, yes. but just, just being trans. We've talked about this a couple of times now, but like just transgression for its own sake is meaningless. And a lot yes. of the left... I mean, you know, depending where you are, you're going to think different things of what qualifies as transgression. But for the left, what they think of transgression is, you know, LGBTQ things like, oh, yeah, well, I live in a Christian right country. This is taboo still, you know, yeah. even though it's all over corporate America and in the mainstream. But they still view it that way. So they think that's like an edgy thing, you know. Well, and, so. it's, and it's and it's funny because it's like because it's like it's like a, a certain front in an in an in a greater war. Right. And so this is like this is like a, an aesthetic battle. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. That's why it, I, I don't I, I think it's not useful because it's like this. This isn't uh, it's got to be constructive. It's like it what you're comes, saying. It kind of comes back to basically just our, our argument about the N word like the other. Yeah. Day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it all comes back to the N word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All things. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like. uh but but yeah, I mean, there's there's been different ways of dealing with that uh, censorship thing because like, well, we had Logo on and Logo was saying you just have to be more savvy and nimble in the way you word things to get around it. And uh, we had Genie on who actually told us to, to reach out to you and he just abandoned Twitter and just went to, to Gab. But uh, I don't know. Do you think there's viability in these alternative like social media sites? Do you think it's just a matter of time for them? Um, I mean, there's some, there's some viability in them. Uh, like I like Telegram, uh, I like Odyssey, which is like an alternative to YouTube, but, uh, you know, a lot of these sites, I mean, I, I don't have Gab, like Gab and BitChute are like, you know, you're very conscious when you're on those sites that it's like, this has been built like for people that were kicked off YouTube yeah. and Twitter. Um, <laughs> and that's like, there's a big ceiling for like where a website like that is going to go, you know, it's totally. just, you know, whatever community is like that the, the mainstream decides to get rid of, like, they're just going to kind of hang out here amongst themselves. And, um, right. You know, it doesn't really interest me being in, in that kind of echo chamber. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're very limited because it's just the nature of, of social media as, as these kind of open networks that there's going to be, that they're going to be, there's going to be one huge market leader in, in any uh, section of it, you know, whether it's Twitter for the microblogging or YouTube for the videos. And uh, we haven't seen one of those being overturned yet. Um, I don't know, maybe you can count MySpace, but I guess, you know, it was still very early days. But in terms of like these big conglomerates now that control these uh, spaces we haven't seen one of them been overturned yet we haven't really seen anything get even close to it um so i do see a lot of copes like yeah, it was funny for a while like every time right when we got banned off youtube they were like well you know in in two years youtube is just going to be like myspace and it's like well <laughs> not really <laughs> you know you're yeah, yeah. you're going to be on bitchute with like five percent <laughs> of your viewers um so, I mean, I think the, you know, you can, you can try and be savvy. I mean, you mentioned Genie. I think he did actually get banned off Twitter. I've seen people get banned mm -hmm. that 
didn't violate any terms of service uh you know james alzup again like he was quite careful i remember like his last videos were like about bitcoin and invest and stuff uh, but they just i mean his his name was on a list from the adl and he got banned it was that simple so even you know be, being savvy now if you're this seems to apply a lot more in the us what i've seen just because of the power that um organizations like the splc and the adl have over these uh private organizations but yeah if your politics are problematic for them um they'll find a way to get rid of you so i think the being savvy will get you so far but i think what needs to happen more so is like building kind of a resilient audience that will follow you to your own platform or to these alternative platforms uh like nick fuentes i think did that very well you know he got banned off youtube um a lot of people that would be the end for them but i mean he was streaming on the election night with like 60,000 viewers on DLive, which, you know, it's a it's a Chinese gaming website, you know, that's like all people that he's just brought there um, because they want to find Nick Fuentes, whatever site he's on. And now he has his own website. So I think that's much more the way things are going to go is there's going to be these personalities that are kind of personal brands and they're just going to have to kind of build their brand enough so that when they lose those platforms, uh, they can kind of take their audience around with them. That's a lot easier for Nick because, you know, his audience is so young and tech savvy. Um, but yeah, it's shit. I mean, there's no there's no real optimistic answer to how things are going to go. You know, so the censorship is is largely working for them. And the only proper oh, yeah. solution would be to nationalize big tech. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right, that's actually right. what I was just about to ask is what like it, it seems so bleak. But like with big tech and stuff, there's really no like putting it back in Pandora's box now that we've got it. So like, what would you see as a viable thing to do there? But really, that that's the only answer, honestly. And it's uh, it almost seems like it's impossible to chart a path from here to there. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Trump kind of blew the last chance to do anything about big tech censorship. Um but I think it, it is yep. it is gone now, you know, four years of uh, Democrats. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's people don't even really talk about it seriously anymore now. It is mm-hmm. like every time, you know, even when big accounts get banned now, there isn't the same like uproar. It's, it is, people just have kind of accepted it now, you know I mean? It's normal. Yeah. Yeah, Four years yeah. ago, it was like, it was crazy when like Milo got banned off Twitter. It was like big news, like when yeah. Daily Stormer was getting censored. It's like, you know, now it's like we'd be surprised if we saw that they were allowed to have accounts anywhere you know so it's, that's a great point yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely it's, been desensitized and, and normalized like election night like trump yes. and, and uh we were talking about this a little bit before but like trump and like all those people posting those irregularities just gone just in an instant and i know you can't talk yeah. about it on youtube we were on like somebody's show and they were like yeah you can't talk about this like on youtube at all and yeah it's just it just sort of like uh yeah that night especially was very surreal because People just were like, yeah, of course, yeah, you're gone, you're banned, like, yeah, it's going to happen. And it's just like, nobody really bats an eye. And it's it's mm-hmm. very, yeah, that's, that's the more disturbing thing I always find. It's interesting to me, it seems like, it seems like Gawker getting shut down and Milo getting banned were like exponentially bigger stories than the fucking sitting president of the United States. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. And yeah. I guess it really, I mean, I guess it does make sense because they were the ones that kind of broke the ground on it, right? But I mean, I don't know. I still feel like we st- haven't given enough... Uh, uh, attention to the fact that like yeah the sitting president was just censored off of off of the site i'm sure i'm sure me pointing this out is you know it it's a waste of time telling you guys because because you guys are already aware but it's fucking insane i still i'll always remember you know to, to any like normie that still thinks that like the election was completely above board and fine like i remember getting off work and i had spent the entire night you know watching the live results and shit posting with with the boys on twitter right and i remember like stopping in at a store talking to people and being like oh yeah it looks like trump just fucking clapped biden's cheeks right <laughs> getting home talking to my roommate and being like yeah it looks like it's over man right streaming with you guys same thing and then when they stopped the count it was like the fix is in, it's over, and everybody knew. But like, but I, but I, I still remember so fucking vividly that entire fucking night up until that point of just unanimous, like you, you remember, like the blue checks just crying, just hysterics in journalist Twitter. Um, unreal, well, there a, man. There was a lot of fear too going. I mean, like we're, we're talking about people getting desensitized to it, but there, I think there yeah. was a general wave of fear because people were 
were scared to say that it was rigged. And I mean, I don't know what Keith thinks about this. I mean, we don't need to relitigate all this, but like oh, just sure. in general, like the the censoring aspect, like the, I think there definitely was a wave of like of 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 fear and sort of like it, it was sort of surreal. I think there was that. I think people do feel that, but it's just sort of a thing of like giving up about it already. Just like what's yeah. the point in having, you know, I'm not even going to say I have an issue with this because it, it's amazing the type of control that has um, – but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, as far as like what you were saying before, Keith, of like uh, like the coalition sort of breaking apart and like uh, on the right and all that. Like, yeah, I, I feel like there was I feel like putting too much stock in Trump or like lionizing Trump was just insane. Like was just mm-hmm. was just not a good idea. I mean, he was just useful. And I think he served whatever use he could do realistically. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny, like uh I don't. I don't know. Do you? Do you? Do you feel like there's still some sort of lingering, uh, like hoping he runs again in 2024 on the dissident right, or do you think that's still there? Or most people um, have sort well, of checked out. Not for many of the people I talk to. I think uh, that's good. You know, even the the most sort of pro-Trump faction of that, like which would be America First, Fuentes. I think even they now are like, okay, Trump is is pretty much useless at this point. You know, I That's think the, the the final straw for them, I think, was him kind of, uh, you know, just doing nothing with the like throwing the Capitol rioters under the bus and some of the stuff he yep. said. He said since then, uh, but yeah, I mean. I think in, in some ways Trump was like a disaster for, I mean, a lot of people would say that Trump like created the energy of, of the alt-right, but I think the more you look at it, like that was already kind of simmering and yep. he, mm-hmm. he just kind of rode a wave. Um, yep. And, you know, it was very detrimental really because, you know, like I was saying earlier, like the alt-right, like prior to Trump was this kind of intellectual thing. It was like Jonathan Bowden and like the European new right. And, um, uh, you know, it's like sort of a kind of like an intellectual challenge to liberalism, like a, a right challenge to capitalism for the 21st century. And with Trump, it became tied up with, you know, reactionary conservative nonsense. Um and you know he took the he took the energy of like he took the energy that had like been building around like these radical ideas like identitarianism and he just forever tied them up with the most goofy aspects of conservatism you know this like ridiculous culture war nonsense i mean you even see it like you're talking about the platform but you even see the the issue there in terms of like um, the damage like the establishment right does and that you know people have kind of given up on the issue deplatforming but it's like you know what was what was the Republican Party what was like the establishment right offering people in terms of deplatforming because all these people endlessly complain about it you know all of the big uh, right wing figures you know even like the Tim Pool types all these types I mean what have any of them <laughs> offered in terms of policy because like they're against like the state doing anything yep. major they're against like nationalizing these companies and it's like you just then you just end up getting this useless shit like we're going to stop uh, enforcing um, you know what's, what's that section that basically gives them immunity from pers- uh, section 230 I think um, that gives them Im- immunity from prosecution like that they're not held responsible for what people say on their platforms um, but, you know, the other part of it is that they're not meant to discriminate discriminate against users on the basis of political beliefs that they're meant to respect free speech. I mean, the conservative response is like, um, you know, if you don't if you don't adhere to if you don't like stop throwing conservatives off social media, we're going to abolish Section 230, which would actually be a disaster because then they'd have to actually be more censorious uh, in mm-hmm. what they allow people to publish. Um, and it just would be completely unworkable in a legal sense so you know they had that like uh, period of a few years where they potentially could have done something in terms of like uh, legislative um, and like the support that was building among the right for in and in these companies but because uh, they're so averse to using the state to rein in uh, capital uh, they just couldn't do anything you know they complained for a few years and Trump is out of office now and uh, he recently said in one of his his statements, uh, these statements that he releases as the ex president, that you know, he didn't do anything about big tech censorship because uh, Mark Zuckerberg was always uh, saying nice things to him whenever he visited the White House. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that seems like that seems like a, a win for the good old boys right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's, uh, I would always like give a, well, yeah, I was, I was upset about the, the him calling the, the guard on the, his own people, the national yeah. guard at the, mm-hmm. that's obviously like a, yeah, that was, that was obviously bad. But again, yeah, him is, is sort of a tool. I still sort of give him an out or, or shoot some bail and like, oh yeah, I mean, what can he really do about like, you know, 
the MIC, you know, I mean, you can fire a bunch of generals, but really you're just like, you know, you're putting band-aids on things. What can you do about big tech? I mean, you can, you can do things, but I think your hands are sort of tied. Like you're, you're, there's not much power the president has in the grand scheme of things. Um, But I think that's definitely the right mindset is that we need to like have more national uh, state control over these entities. I think that's like, I think that's the starting point. I think wherever you're coming from, we got to agree on that. Like, even if there's nothing he could do about it, you're saying his hands are tied. Then like what you would like to see as like a patron of his or a supporter or whatever, uh, him speaking to you in some way would be him at least speaking to the fact that these things need to be done. No, you're right. You're right. He, he And that's the, that's the whole thing of his interests and mutual interests is that he wasn't interested in that. He's not like somebody trying to like shake things up. I don't even think he thought he was going to win. Mm-hmm. Like he was clearly just trying to ride a wave yeah. and, and get some, get some publicity. And, you know, he's probably in deeper than he thought he'd be. And it's like, I'm not really trying to like go against these people. No, like, I think it's just going to let the neocons run their like uh, economic liberalism anyways, which is like right. something that I saw. I know Keith was talking about in a video of his uh, about the Nasball vortex. Uh, but I say, said something that was pretty <laughs> good though, Keith, where you said that uh, the left likes to run on like economic stuff, uh, but then at the end of the day, they just essentially push a, a socially liberal agenda, and that's really all they push for. Um, and then the right likes to run on uh, like a uh, more conservative traditional talking piece, but at the end of the day, they just pu- push economic liberal- liberalism either way, uh, and that mm-hmm. just fetters yeah. more social liberalism. And yep. so essentially both sides are just pushing this fucking liberalism at the end of the day. Yep. Um, yeah, it's just how it, they're just differentiated by how they'll lie to you. Yeah, exactly. So you were speaking also about how like previously the alt-right was more intellectual project with like right critiques of capitalism and that such. Um, what are some of those critiques that you think are a little bit more in line with uh, what you think should be a conservative project or something you'd be interested in? Well, I mean, I guess the sort of standard uh, right or traditionalist critique of, of capitalism is, uh, you know, just the revolutionary transformative effect that economic liberalism has, you know, um, capitalism, like as a, as a process, capital as a process, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't deal with limitations, you know, it has to turn limitations into barriers that can be transcended mm-hmm. and overcome. And in terms of what's a, a barrier to capital accumulation, well, you know, it's, uh, the worst kind of population for, a, a capitalist is a, a kind of healthy population with a, a strong sense of itself and traditions mm-hmm. and so on. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tradition, uh, family, uh, uh, you know, barriers to accumulation, like, you know, immigration restrictions or sense of a nation or um, certain things that are considered taboo, uh, certain kinds of uh, consumerism that's considered taboo, you know, all those things are, are limitations that have to be destroyed. And so, you know, capitalism is in this sort of perpetual state of uh, liquefaction and yep. uh, deconstruction and commodification. Mm-hmm. And that can't survive next to any kind of sense of uh, tradition or folkish identity or even uh, the maintenance of strong families. You know, I mean, this is kind of a talking point that's made by a lot of people, which, you know, it's not it's not profitable to have a healthy population. You know, it's not I mean, it's it's not going to be profitable to have a population that aren't all uh, consuming porn, obviously, yep. is another example. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the basic critique of that. But I mean, also like capitalism has, has brought with it everywhere. Uh, uh, liberalism as its as its kind of superstructure. I mean, you really see this mm-hmm. in in Ireland. I mean, Ireland was pretty much one of the most. I mean, it was the most conservative country in in Western Europe uh, right into the early nineties. Um, but it also had one of the quickest transformations in terms of modeling uh, its economic system on being an outpost of of American multinational corporations. Um, there was a slogan for a political party here in the early 2000s that said they wanted Ireland to be closer to Boston than Berlin in terms of economic policy. And that was kind of the uh, dominant feeling for a while. You know, the economic growth here was so much built on like having low corporate tax uh, and attracting like these pharmaceutical companies and Silicon Valley companies. You know, you have, um, I think, PayPal headquarters are in Dublin. Facebook mm-hmm. are headquartered here. Um, oh, the, uh, the list goes thing, on. Yeah. The list goes on yeah. and on. There's there's a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I mean that's brought with it in in very quick order. You know, Ireland has become one of the most socially liberal countries in Europe as well. Uh, and you know, I mean, it's it's just a. I mean, it's a simple historical observation. You know, when you get uh, you know, when you get kind of mercantile democracy, it inevitably uh, turns into uh, an oligarchy of of the merchants, and so any kind of traditionalist that's uh, 
that's looking at devising an economic system. You know, you don't really want a, a dictatorship of of uh, of the merchant class. Um, and you know, it's having the the revolutionary effects that we're seeing today. I mean, it is going to ultimately lead to the dissolution of nations and the nation state. We're mm-hmm. heading into a, a new kind of feudalism where uh, it is going to be this uh, super class of uh, the Davos elite and the uh, you know this new money of the the Silicon Valley types. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they'll be they'll be exploring space while. Uh, we're uh, living in overpriced rented accommodation from BlackRock. This is, I think, the I think this is the ultimate end of of capitalism. Is is that yep. kind of return to feudalism? No doubt. The pods and the bugs. Oh yeah. In other words. <laughs> no, for real, honestly. But uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, what you were saying before about the the the, the Nazbol thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that was sort of the thing that stabbed me out of the left. Was was you know I had more. Uh, of a material interest and the social stuff. I, I, I started off originally very socially left. I think I am relatively in the grand scheme of things, but I'm more agnostic on that now. And basically talking with leftists, them sort of prioritizing social things at every turn. You know, at some point you have to prioritize. At some point there's these things come to a head and you have to pick. And they always say we can do both. That's the thing I heard a million times. And uh, basically it took me realizing that they're not really interested in anything uh, material at all uh, to basically be like, yeah, this entire thing is is bankrupt. And I guess on the uh, the the right leaning side or like GOP people who like appeal to the right is just like, you know, oh, they got family values and all this stuff and all these like, you know, appeals. But really their economics are just like you said, they, it all just the gravity just goes back to the same place of just like neoliberal economic order. And it's the same. It, it all boils down to the same thing. So, like, yeah, I think I think that it's surprising that people still go into those uh, like funnels. Like, they still buy it, and they, you know, from whichever direction. Well, that's really uh, all that they that that's allowed. You know, that's like the only right. that's the scope of acceptable discourse. Right, uh, and that goes in like to the censorship we were talking about a moment ago. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, I think the, everyone the conservative knows. the conservative strategy is to run on. Uh, these social issues that are extremely divisive and to right. win on the basis of that they're going to do something to reverse that and then they don't have any policies in terms of reversing. I mean, even with this talk of like critical race theory being taught right. in schools, I mean, what's the proposal right. to reverse that exactly? Uh, I saw something that they're uh, they're bringing in a law in, in uh, I forget which state now, but they're bringing in a law that there's like one specific thing that was published in the New York Times can't be taught in schools and that's going to be like the solution to CRT. Uh, so it's just <laughs> like they're just, I mean, the conservative type is just like incapable of looking at things systematically. It's always individual personalities and this yeah. mm-hmm. culture war yeah. shit but yeah i mean the the strategy is to run on that stuff and get elected because people are fearful of of the left uh, pushing the extremes of that and then you know in terms of like materially what they do they give uh, tax cuts to the oligarchs that are actually funding that stuff through institutions yeah. and pushing that stuff so it's a uh, it's an unwinnable yeah, dialect you know yeah, there seems to be a lot of parallels with the left there of like, oh, yeah, ban CRT or like abolish the DOE or whatever. And it, it really reminds me of like the left approach with like policing and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like it, it's sort of like the anarcho like uh, libertarian like kind of connection. There's just oh, if we just get rid of these things and just go in our homes and homeschool and just withdraw, then everything will be fine. While the rest of the world is like taken over by like these corporations. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's, well, it's, there's it's a clear a cut strategy. through there because they're both liberalism at the end of the right, day. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's yeah. something. I mean, that's something that people like that I criticize a lot on even the distant right as well is like the dialect is uh, liberalism. It is this. It is a liberal view of the world. You know, people get so worked up about like communism and like Bolshevism and like calling. BLM Marxists, it's like, you know, these people aren't like really <laughs> ideological Marxists, you know, they're right. like, you know, it's just, it gets very, it gets overly like abstract and like oh, getting yeah. into history and stuff. It's like, you know, these, most of these people aren't really motivated by any specific ideology. It's just this sort of undercurrent of, uh, uh, libertarian social order. That's kind of an anti-racism that's kind of driving everything. It's and this sort of religious urge of what people call wokeism. 
Um, well, but you, know, you can get you can get too tied up in like ideology and like you know Marx influenced this guy and this guy influenced this guy and that's why <laughs> like BLM are like writing in July 2020. Right. So yeah, really. yeah. That's such a funny neocon uh, response to like oh Biden is a communist he's like Stalin or something or Kamala <laughs> or BLM. Yeah. It's such a funny. It's basically the bear of uh, saying Trump's <laughs> a fascist and everybody who like larps is <clears throat> a fascist or larps is a communist is like we wish bro you know that's the automatic meme response like, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like a throwback to like when michael savage and bill o'reilly and all those guys were insisting that barack obama was like a, a an ideological marxist yes afro-leninist yeah. yes so <laughs> <laughs> they've got it but they've got to say that it's something else other than what it is because what it is is just what they're promoting as well and so yeah. they were like well this is just liberalism that we're also doing uh well then what's what do you have to offer me there you know like you have to have Majorie taylor green or whatever the fuck her name is coming out talking about we must stop biden socialism when at the end of the day like (laughs) that's not even fucking what's happening here he's just doing like more extreme neoliberalism and like when you have these crackpots that come out and say this type of stuff it just keeps obfuscating it and then also like you're talking about drags in these people that are just there because they heard the buzzword that they're scared of or whatever and they think that it's cool that they're being dunked on um and it's like at the end of the day that's not a serious politic at all and it's very useful because it just helps to keep things going the exact fucking way they are yeah Yeah. it's like it's like there's like leftists see um a handful of capitalist oligarchs uh taking over the government and they call it fascism and Writers see a handful of capitalist oligarchs taking over the government and they call it communism. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, yeah, it's but, insane. <laughs> You're like, you know, this is just like, capitalism. Yeah, but I mean, no, no one has the language really to do, you know, to criticize liberalism at all. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, you look at like the typical sort of MAGA voter. And I do like you, I, I think you would find some of them have like instincts of national populism like you know like if trump if trump came out and said like you know we're going to like nationalize industry and we're going to like throw all the we're going to throw these billionaires in jail like they'd probably be all for it oh Um, yeah but they they just don't really have the language to like articulate this stuff they have to fall Mm -hmm. back on uh you know an appeal to the the values that kind of permeate the culture i mean it's easy to forget but like when trump remember when trump in the debates in 2015 like he just came out and he was like the only one of the seven or eight guys up there that was like uh uh not like uh, in favor of like private health care he's like no you know we're yeah. not gonna let anyone we're not gonna let anyone uh die in the street under my watch if we're not having money and he's like coming out in favor of infrastructure programs all this kind of thing mm-hmm. that like you know the other candidates were baffled and they were like you know you're you're a socialist but uh and even the people in the crowd were like booing trump for this stuff but you know his his poll numbers just kept going up so it's like i do think like mo- i think most working class people have like an instinctive appetite 100 marriage of of sort of right social values and left economic values but it's just never offered to them and they've never you know mm-hmm. most people go their whole life without ever even seeing anyone articulate that so you know maybe it's it's not surprising on some level that like they always fall back on uh, these like specters of whatever it is communism or fascism right. they already beat them in the last century they're already dead and they're just fighting like the specters of them it's, it's, it's crazy but like yeah if somebody were to come around that's charismatic that has that sort of like social right leaning they'd be killed and, off uh, well that's, that's, why, <laughs> that's okay, why okay yeah <laughs> i mean that's where trump derangement syndrome came from because it's like even though even though he accomplished nothing for four years still in 2020 they were as deranged as ever because i mean just even like just the sight of someone going up there and like you know just the enemy speaking the out against the donors yeah. you know i don't need your money uh you know we're gonna yeah. stop foreign mm-hmm. wars uh we're not gonna govern for special interests you know we're gonna like have this sort of nationalist uh economic outlook and uh yeah you know like just even just the specter of like someone you know someone going up and saying that and getting huge popular support and drawing these huge rallies i mean that was really enough to uh, to really scare these people into, yeah. into showing their hand in the years that followed. Absolutely. Even the lip service to those ideas is dangerous because what those ideas do is speak to class instinct. Like that's what you were talking about earlier there, Keith. Uh, like that's what people, working class people just like instinctually, these are things mm-hmm. that make sense to them if they hear them, you know, they're, they're things that benefit them materially. And so when you put them in front of them, if you give them the right like way to mm-hmm. understand it, of course they're going to be open to it. Of course they're going to be on board with it. Because people at the end of the day, as just twisted up and convoluted as everyone's ideology is and as like broken and down and decrepit as everyone is, 
and their ability to think for themselves and critically think. I think people at the end of the day know what's good for them if it's presented directly to them um, in a way that's just material. And so they can see like directly, yeah, "Yeah, of course I'd like to lock up these sickos that are ruining my fucking life. (laughs) Like what, why not? You know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot just about how like just, just basically all mass media is just, is just class war and it's just lifestyle you know, lifestyles of the rich and the famous trying to taste make for lower class common people. And so much mm-hmm, work yeah. is put into um, is put into, uh, you know, specifically not meeting normal people where they are, but convincing normal people of what they want and, 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 what they, and how they should feel. And, yeah. and I mean, Jesus Christ, like that's a fucking, that's a, that's a, a, a fucking needle to thread, right? Yep. Like that's yeah. a fucking difficult job to make. And so imagine you're doing that. You're, you're, you're dedicating all these fucking resources to this insane project. And then someone comes up and just does the really easy thing, which is just saying shit that people actually want to hear, yeah. regardless of if he actually makes good on it or not like holy shit you gotta just blast him with the fire hose Mm -hmm. right that's why i supported him because you know all those neocons came out as like never trump and they just joined with the democrats and all the lefties were like just joining with the democrats after all their fake criticism like even there were even some right people that were like all on board there was like a weird big tent of everybody just falling back to the middle Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. that was the whole reason why i supported him just symbolic i knew he was gonna get rigged out but it was just like even if materially he's not going to do anything, like at the end of the day, you're going to have people sitting around like we are right now talking about, well, why is it that there was such a support for this guy who everyone knew was obviously a fucking buffoon? And it's because he spoke to these things that everyone wants to hear. Um, and, and then you start to put it together. Wait a minute. It's because he mentioned this stuff that's like actually just like class analysis to a degree or class instinct. Um, and no, it's white it's supremacy stuff that everyone wants to do. Well, <laughs> yeah, now it is for sure. <laughs> I was just asking Keith, though, kind of what his thoughts were on neo-reactionaryism with that being kind of a big thing that's popping up right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's never really appealed to me. Um, there's a few things with the NRX stuff. I mean, it's I've never I don't find it very coherent. Like mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's this kind of neo absolutist like uh, yeah. Machiavellian way of looking at politics. But then most of the guys have married it to like Christian social thought, mm-hmm. and those things are completely <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're completely incoherent. They're taking this very like uh, Hobbesian, uh, you know, what Strauss would call like modernist way of looking at politics, where it's like you know the the will of all against all and um uh curtis yervin Mulbug starts himself from very liberal premises you know he's kind of looking at like how could we how can we like preserve liberty how can we I mean, it's this kind of hobbesian certain point of like how do we reduce uh violence and the fear of death and uh, he comes to the conclusion that you know you have to do it with like uh, an absolute ruler and with these more yeah what looks like more uh, traditionalist or sort of monarchical institution. So I just find it this kind of hodgepodge of ideas that are uh, inconsistent and kind of contradictory where there's like Christianity and, and Machiavellianism and then sort of uh, liberal precepts. Um, and some of the positions they come to, I just find uh, uh, I'm yeah. not very fond of. One of them was I, I, kind of defending, uh, the, it's the guy I like, but he was kind of defending Bezos and, and Amazon to me. <laughs> of course. Like the... Well, Mobug you know, said the, that Mobug said uh, Elon should be uh, the emperor king. He would be yeah. a good fit. Well, to be fair, that's like that was like an old like you know. I, I don't know if that's still a position held or anything, but it is pretty funny. I've never held that position. I've never held anything close to that. Well, position. I don't even know how <laughs> sincere it was in the first place. Is what I'm saying. I, I think I think it's okay, pretty okay. sincere. I think he, yeah. he was doing another it's tour recently. End probably funded i think by peter thiel and he was he was saying similar <laughs> things again i mean i know a lot yeah. of the a lot of the nrx guys will say they don't agree with him on that and they've gone like a more kind of uh christian reactionary position mm-hmm. but i think that's even more incoherent in a way i'm like why don't you just draw from like christian social thought why don't you yeah right i mean you're like drawing on this like machiavellian way of looking at politics that kind of overturned uh christian like logocentric way of looking at politics it's uh well, this was funny. Is that, that's, that's my overlap with them is the Machiavellian view. But so, where I lose them is the Christian thing. I'm like, wait, what? How did you? But what what do you think is the contradiction, though? Because to me, like a, a monarchy, I think that's meme ideology shit. I really do. But like that, that doesn't seem that far off from like, you know, a God. You know what I mean? Like, I don't or like a, you know, like a, a 
you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't see it. What, what is the contradiction in your mind with that? Well, I mean, I mean, Strauss talks about this a lot, Leo Strauss, but, you know, the idea that there was this fundamental transformation with Machiavelli and Hobbes uh, into modernism where, you know, previously, um, uh, you know, how society was arranged was was based on a, a kind of overarching conception of, of logos. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was part of philosophy. It was kind of practical ethics. And, you know, if you're a Christian, there's a clear idea of uh, Christian social thought and, you know how these things are to be arranged and and so on um and yeah i mean then it, i mean with moldbug the starting point is this sort of liberal atheistic view of things where you know again it's this kind of uh, individualist uh, contractual approach to the state of trying to mm-hmm. sort of maximally preserve people's liberty so i don't really see how they line up so well i also just I find that like I don't know as a personality type the NRX types I mean they're like uh like I, I had had kind of a debate with the distributors before who I like I think he's probably the best of those guys on my channel but you know it came down to like I was like he's we were debating about like if capitalism is the problem and I, I just found he was focusing a lot more on like the social effects of capitalism yes and he was very reluctant to even use the word capitalism because it's uh you know they didn't want us to sound like Marxist it's a no-no or in nrx yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so there no-no. there's this like instinctive like um uh instinctive rejection of like <laughs> radicalism which mm-hmm. i think is not a good thing if you're going to be this fringe like dissident political movement to have like uh uh to kind of appeal to fogies that are like scared of of sounding too radical um i don't think yeah. that's really going to go anywhere and i also just think that it's uh you know a lot of stuff i mean i see some of their content and it's just like you know look at what the sjw's are up to now and it's uh you know, it's this You're kind like, of sure, yeah. Even you know, even the even the cathedral thing. It's like um, you know, there's always this reluctance to pin it down on you know the the capitalist oligarchs, the process of yeah, capital. Exactly. It's, it's it's you know, it's starting with ideology. You know, it's it's mm-hmm, out of the universities, mm-hmm. it's out of the newspapers. Uh, in yeah, a weird way, like, sometimes well, the capitalists. Benefit? Yeah, in a weird way, sometimes it's like the capitalists that are good guys, and you also find like they're kind of attached to like. Um, uh, a lot of them like uh, like sort of Austrian economics and uh, mm-hmm. libertarian ways of looking at the economy. So in yes. a weird way, it's like it's yes. kind of a way to be, I think for some of these people, it's kind of a way to still be, to still hold on to their libertarian priors yes. without being the, you know, the goofy libertarians uh, that libertarianism has become. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot of problems with it. I think that the, I don't think the structural analysis is sound that this stuff is, uh, just entropy that it's just naturally kind of going in a left wing direction that it's it's a result of ideas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's you know I'd probably agree with you guys more it's much more of a, a result of of material factors um yeah the and then, I mean, there's more like problems they... I mean like like Moldbug holds up like people like Thatcher and Reagan as people that like push back against the cathedral and it's like <laughs> oh I mean, my yeah. god to they me those, those two there, those two are like they've probably furthered the interests of of the cathedral more than anyone yeah 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 absolutely yeah no to me it's not a functional politic at all like it's like it's just like uh yeah this is a way that we can just like express our disdain with everything that's happening around us without actually having to address like what's causing the stuff that's happening around us it's like i can put up some fancy wording and say like oh yeah the cathedral and is causing this and that and the other but at the end of the day what what does that help us with when you don't tie it to who it's benefiting and why it's doing this (laughs) yeah i mean i think I think, I think, I think like, I think, I think it's just like, you can say all the, the usual anti-capitalist critiques, but instead of saying capitalism, you say modernity yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and instead of talking about superstructure, you just reverse engineer the whole concept yes. and call it the cathedral. Yes. Yeah. And, and then yes. you don't need to just use the, the keywords and shibboleths of the other team right. that, that is, that is bad for your audience. Yeah. And they and, don't and have like, to, I mean, they don't face the, some of the deep platform of the, Rest of this and right because they don't, uh, you know, they won't talk about, uh, you know, this might not go down well here, but you know, the the Jewish element of of the makeup of the oligarchy, the media. I mean, at the end of the day, they say that this stuff is being driven by the media and by the universities. So you'd imagine that if they have that kind of um, ideology down view of things rather than material conditions, that uh, might be pertinent to look at who owns this stuff. But uh, that's the it, thing, yeah. They're yeah. talking media, academia, the NGO network, and it's like, all right, sure, yes, that's good. Like, yeah, that's good that you're thinking about like power yeah, that's and one relations. Piece of the that's puzzle. good. But wh- who do they serve? Like, where's the capital in this? Like, where? Yeah. So to the, me, they, the they can dogs? complain. They can complain a lot about symptoms without having to uh, yes. talk about Zionism or capitalism. And I think that's kind of a useless 
critique really that's i mean it's that's kind of like one degree above conservatism to me mm-hmm. yeah i've seen them mm-hmm. talk about like uh like uh ceos and capitalists like as like the 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 people in power of that like they're sort of like a pencil neck geeks that really are like you know timid and they're they're just kind of like they're not really enforcing their will on anyone they're just sort of like trying to stick to the numbers like it's, yeah it's very it's libertarian it really is it's like an economic well and that's the point of origin for for a lot of them right? I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to like i don't want to like pick on them too much or anything but it does just seem like um like it's a it's a tool for like kind of a specific purpose but there's just like a, a kind of a low like upper limit of its usefulness and it feels like it, it kind of has been hit already. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I they, remember- always say, they always say you don't have to agree with all what Moldbug said, but uh, NRX is a useful tool on its own. But I'm not even... I- <laughs> I'm being very harsh, but that. I don't. I don't think I'll even give them that, to be honest, because <laughs> I've never, I've never needed. I mean, I've never used NRX, and I don't know what I'm missing by not having it. And I've asked them, uh-huh. and I've never really got a good answer to that. It seems to be. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean you say, can get the you can get the same critique from like Althusser and Gramsci, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. In those critiques. I'll say this, and this probably isn't the flattering thing that they would enjoy hearing. But my point earlier, just about like hey, capitalism can now be called modernity. And hey, superstructure can now be the cathedral. Maybe just as a transitional kind of uh, kind of phase, it can be useful in Absolutely. that way. But it's more uh, of a catch than a transition. Like it's more like a holding chamber than a transition. I mean, it's, it's I just, like. it's open, it's open, it's like, open the tunnel for the spoonful of baby food of like, of giving yeah. right wingers uh, like leftist no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think I think the whole general trend of the uh, parts of the dissident right moving away from the free market, moving Correct. away from libertarianism, that is a good overall trend. Yeah, well, very one, good. one mm-hmm. good thing that came out of uh, the Moldbug sphere was uh, neo-absolutism. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Uh, no. Mostly from this guy, Chris Bond, who wrote a book called Nemesis. Um, but he, he basically just took the, the aspect of Moldbug that focused on... Um, power and like the patron theory of politics and he, he focused very much on the work of of this french thinker uh, bertrand the juvenile uh, who moldbug borrowed, borrowed a lot from um and so he he he, uh, he made the nrx stuff more coherent into neo-absolutism which is uh, kind of a critique of like uh liberal ontology and the contractual view of the state and also very much a focus on what he calls the patron theory of politics which is this idea that political history is a series of like high low versus middle battles that this is how change happens that uh you know the very powerful people the oligarchs uh, ally with uh, the masses against uh the middle institutions uh, to centralize power so you know they'll use mass revolts to weaken uh sort of subsidiary power centers like mm-hmm. the family trade unions the church and he gives kind of a historical analysis on the basis of this which is actually uh it's a very useful way of looking at politics and he he applies this to a lot of things like for example in his his book uh, i did a video about it before he, he, he looks at like the growth of human rights and how like the ford foundation and the democrat party basically created human rights in the 1970s as a way to uh, constrain uh, nixon and kissinger in their, in their foreign policy um so i find that quite quite useful um but again that's kind of itself is kind of a a material analysis of power you know it's there's nothing kind of right. uniquely mulbuggy about that as such mm-hmm. yeah when we were talking with some nrx guys to me it was just like oh none of this sounds very new to me this is just right. like some stuff under a different name with a couple of different words instead uh, that doesn't seem yeah. to quite do the entire thing that the other stuff does but it always sounds nice coming from a right winger because it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, sh- i don't expect well, you to say this shit so like, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with like the nasball thing like that's like to me that's like what Slav was saying the utility of it is it's like it's nice that it is kind of like trojan horsing these like more right. material structures or systems exactly. for analysis into yeah. these like more conservative people who may have been like neocons or whatever you know a couple of cycles yeah. ago or whatever you yeah. want to call it um but well, i mean it's kind of, it's impossible now for uh, a, a self-conscious socially conservative right winger to kind of shill for capitalism in the way they could have a few years ago i mean it's like when oh, yeah. you're when you're yes. like losing your like all your social media uh 
and you know the, these oligarchs are like you know there's like daily announcements that they're gonna like you know what was the latest one paypal is gonna work with the adl to combat hate and all this stuff like when it's just so in your face all the time and like you know the entire media apparatus and uh you know all the billionaires and so on they're all out against uh your kind of politics uh it's very hard to hold on to dilute the delusion that there's a there's some kind of like uh, base capitalist class or something. I mean, it does uh, eventually it just has to become more kind of uh, combative and there has to be kind of a sense that there's a, a class interest involved as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 100%, 100%. That's why I think it's kind of like a little bit of a hopeful thing to see like some of this NRX stuff because it's like uh, that's almost like an admitting in itself that uh, the binary isn't really working for anybody anymore. Um, and so it's kind of like this new growth of like a of some school of thought that's trying to marry these two ideas, even though maybe it's not doing it in the way that I like it. Uh, it's kind of marrying like more socially conservative ideas. Well, um, again, to go to back to the platform, and I don't, I don't think they'd have a fraction of their popularity if the more sort of um, third position uh, or like sort mm -hmm. of social nationalist types were platformed that are just openly uh anti-capitalist people that think more like me i think if if those mm. people were allowed a voice more uh, i don't think that nrx would have become so big in the last two or three years uh, because sure. they, they rose just as those people were getting heavily deplatformed. yep they're the more well, and, and uh, how much of the, version and how much of that do you think also comes down to the fact that because this is something we talked to genie about uh, they they also are just really big on just advocating inaction. And I'm not personally super big on like, you know, prescribing solutions, honestly, because I don't I don't fucking know. But like, but it almost seems like one of the top priorities of this wing of dissident politics is to just is basically to just tell everybody um, to just, I guess, like start a family and just completely mm -hmm. key out. Um, I mean, I guess if your highest aspiration is getting your Fox News mom to stop caring about pointing out hypocrisy, then like, I guess you'll accomplish all your goals and more. Um, but that that is, like I said, kind of a low ceiling. Um, but it seems like it, it makes it a lot safer, right? Because like, oh, my gosh, like these these dangerous extremists are telling people to log off and touch grass. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, seem, it seems like everybody's having a, a, a reconciling moment of like being a former neolib or neocon when times were good and basically realizing the shit is falling apart. There's too many contradictions. And the left cope is like to turn into a, like a radlib type person and, uh, you know, purple hair or whatever. And I guess if you're, you know, or neocon, like this is very appealing. This is some way of like getting to be somewhat dissident, but not really like not really. You know what I mean? Like it just it's mm -hmm. sort of like on the edges. Like what's the source? That's the thing is always like, what's the source? Like where's the top of the pyramid? It's always just evil, like general evil, like <laughs> evil. And I'm like, all right, man, I can't do anything with this. Like, I don't know what to do with that. But uh but yeah, I, I mean, think, I think should, it's uh, uh, for some of the NRX people, it's uh, Protestantism or like uh, yes, Calvinism. yeah, yeah, the lack of formalism in it. <laughs> right, right. It, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, yeah. There's a boot on my neck, but as long as we can get people to see the boot, that's okay. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, right. I mean, I if you're like, that. I mean, if you're saying that like these ideas are coming out of the university, if the cathedral is the university system and the media, and like seven of the eight Ivy League uh, university presidents in the U.S. are are Jewish and you're going to tell me that uh, this is because of Calvinism. I'm going to, I'm going to question like, maybe you have like other reasons for not wanting to uh, come to another conclusion about that. You know, I did, I did actually, it's funny. I was watching, I watched your video recently on, uh, uh, the city of London, right? And like yeah. I was complete. I really was just like kind of ignorant of a, of a lot of that stuff. And it did uh, occur to me that I just wouldn't. I really just wouldn't see something like this um, from from these more kind of like I don't know. I, I'm going to use it flippantly, but like idealistic uh, thinkers of just like it, it practical is a practical approach. Um, as opposed to, yeah, I guess, like, I guess Protestantism, I guess something about Lovecraftian metaphors. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Now I feel bad, like I'm being too hard on him. But yeah, but, yeah it's just yeah, it's a lack of practicality. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, the boot on the neck thing we've talked about it before, but like... Um but yeah, well, and I, I think th there's I think truth that, to it. But yeah, I think that's why there's like a, a like I, you could make a connection to like Molebug thinking and and uh, like supporting China, which we know. Like, well, exactly, people, people exactly. And like you know, whatever. We we should just let's switch gears to something else. Like I think I think before we run out of time, I want to talk about the 
I mean, the the, the offshoring thing. thing does get to what we're talking about, though, because I mean, like, I can't remember what year it was, but they released the Panama Papers where they showed the extent of of the offshoring, and it's it's hard to get a gauge in it. But I mean, anything from like the estimates go from ten percent to fifty percent of the world's wealth is offshored, completely untaxed. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in the handful, like relative to world population of of a handful of people, it's in the hands of. And yeah, I mean, when you I mean, when you look at the scale of that, and then you think of like the nonsense that gets discussed on a daily basis, the nonsense, whatever the latest culture war is, whether it's uh, masks or, um, you know, whatever, whatever else. Uh, Trans And like this, this isn't something that even gets discussed politically. Yes. You know, the Panama Papers came out, they were forgotten about it. And it's like, you know, we have like... Mm-hmm. Potentially half the world's wealth is, is sitting there untaxed and the oligarchs are just slowly like dissolving the nation state and pretty soon we're like we're not even going to have the means where we could potentially uh, rein this in and no one's really paying attention to it. No, so, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the thing. Yeah, it always frustrates the shit out of me of like, yeah, like why are we talking about trans shit all day, every single day, 24-7, and they're not even like a big part of the population and yet all this like tectonic shifts are happening beneath us around the world like it's it, it just boggles my mind it's not proportional well i mean I in a way that like, uh, that tells you the reason i mean the oligarchs yes fund this stuff because it's a mm-hmm. you know yes. it's a it's a nice distraction to put the left onto i mean this the wokeism stuff really took off around i guess the mid 2000s and around mm-hmm. the time of occupy wall street and that and i mean where has economic populism gone since then i think it's only gone backwards Yep. yep. There's that exactly. meme of like the big fat guy on Wall Street with all the uh, signs outside his window that are like Occupy Wall Street and tax in 99%. And he's like, quick, introduce them to trans and like identity yeah, yeah, exactly. politics. Yeah, exactly. Like that type of thing.